morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey Podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Scott Lowe, and I am the host of the Full Stack Journey Podcast. Normally, this is where I would say that my goal with to this episode of the Full Stack Journey, as always, is to talk about some of the technologies that are present in today's modern data centers or public cloud environments and to help prepare and equip listeners for their journey of learning across this full stack of technologies. And normally I would also be introducing a guest who would be joining me to talk about some new technology or something that they've learned or some method or process that they are employing or have created. Or sometimes I might even bring a guest on to talk about some sort of like a career related decision, like how do you know when to move into a new job position or how, uh, you know, tell their story of how they went from being a networking professional to being a software developer or something like that. For episode 54 of the Full Stack Journey podcast, I'm taking a slightly different tack. Uh, and I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here uh, in a solo episode. So just uh, me and you, the listeners, and we're going to be uh, talking. Actually, that's just going to be me talking and you listening. Um, although you can always get back in touch with me through various social media channels. I'll share that with you uh, in a moment. But I, I wanted to just kind of maybe provide a little bit of a personal update on me. There's been a lot of change in my life recently, um, all of it self-inflicted, <laughs> so nothing bad. But, uh, you know, it's um, thought it might be good just to, uh, you know, break the fourth wall for a little bit and talk to the audience and uh, share, you know, some of the things that are happening and some of the lessons that I've learned and some of the reasons why uh, things are happening the way they are, but uh, I have, you know, lots of change happening, lots of new things going on in my life. And um, so I, I, I really wanted to just take a moment and, uh, and update all of you. I hope you don't mind. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you find this uh, sort of approach, you know, uh, something you really don't like, let me know in the comments. You can hit me up on Twitter as at Scott underscore low, or you can uh, address the podcast directly at FSJ podcast on Twitter. You are welcome to reach out to me by email, scott at fullstackjourney.com. So I have three major areas in my life that where I, I'm going undergoing significant change at the moment. One, my wife and I just moved into a new house. Two, I just changed jobs and took on a new job with a new company. And three, and perhaps the one most of you are maybe most interested in is I just acquired a new laptop. So thought I would share some impressions uh, from the new laptop as well. But let's let's start with the new house. So most of you know that I live in the Denver metro area. I've been here since 2011 when my wife, Crystal, and I moved from the Raleigh-Durham area to the Denver metro area in Colorado for various reasons, um, not the least of which at the time was the fact that I was traveling a lot and I was traveling to both the East Coast and to the West Coast and East Coast travel uh, from North Carolina was, of course, pretty easy, but West Coast travel was a big deal. And so I wanted something that was a little more central to both sides. And so here in Denver, I am roughly the same amount of air travel from the West Coast as I am the East Coast. East Coast is a little bit farther, like about three and a half hours, and West Coast is about two and a half hours on a typical flight, depending on where you're going, of course. But, you know, this uh, just it made little things a little bit easier for me in terms of the travel that I was doing. Also, Denver's airport is a reasonably sizable airport. It's a, it's a hub for uh, United. And that means it's easy for me to get flights to various places, including international destinations. 
of course, right now with the pandemic going on, there isn't a whole lot of travel. So that particular benefit is not super useful at the moment, but it has been useful in the past decade uh, nearly that we've been here. We moved in the fall of 2011. So this coming fall of 2021, I will have lived in the Denver metro area for a decade. But we, we love the Denver metro area and we were very, very happy. We had been living mostly on the southern side of the Denver metro area. So if you're familiar with the Denver metro area, on the southern side, you have cities like Lone Tree and Littleton and others uh, that kind of you know surround the Denver metro area on the southern uh, uh, edges. And then as you move farther south, uh, you're heading down towards Monument, uh, you would run into places like Castle Pines and Castle Rock. And that's primarily where we had lived over the past decade or so. But recently we we sold our house in Castle Rock. Now, uh, some of you may have followed the you know, sort of renovation adventures in 2019 when my wife and I underwent two major renovations uh, to our house in Castle Rock or our former house in Castle Rock. One was a, a complete kitchen renovation. I shared pictures of that on Twitter and we went from a much older sort of early 2000s style kitchen to something much more modern and much more clean and bright. And absolutely, you know, we 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 had customized it to be exactly what we wanted. And we did the same later in 2019 when we renovated the master bathroom and put in heated towel floors and a two-person shower and all kinds of, you know, just nice features. And so you might be wondering, well, you know, Scott, why did you why did you sell, you know, this house? Like why you'd put so much effort into it? You you had made it exactly what you wanted it to be. And and we both absolutely did love the house, but we'd really begun asking ourselves. The sort of question like, well, you know, we don't we don't have kids at home anymore. Our, our youngest had just graduated college last year. And uh, so we didn't have any kids at home, hadn't had any kids at home for quite a while. He had moved out you know, to go to college and his next older brother even before that. And obviously, you know, all the way up the chain. And it was just Crystal and I. We had a dog, but he passed. And we have two little puppies that are very, very small. And they're a uh, toy fox terrier, so very small breed dog. And we just didn't need all the space. You know, we found ourselves living mostly on the main level of our house. It was a ranch with a finished walkout basement. We found ourselves living mostly on the upper level of the house, very rarely going downstairs. And so here we are paying for this house and, you know, heating and cooling the house and paying for maintenance on the house and repairs and and really only utilizing about half of the house. And we asked ourselves, you know, well, this this doesn't make sense. Here we have, you know, this this property. We were sitting in a house with that that itself was placed on five and a quarter acres of property uh, down on the southern end of of Castle Rock, Colorado. We had to spend time maintaining the property and paying for this house, and we it was just the two of us. And you know, we wanted to maintain extra space in case family came to visit, but it was just kind of too much. And the more we thought about it, and the more we kind of considered, you know, what was right for us. And I'm not saying this is right for everyone, but what was right for us was to go ahead and downsize and and say, you know, like, let's sell this house. Let's find something that's newer and smaller and more energy efficient and something that costs less to maintain and just costs less than, um, you know, this house that we had purchased. And so we did, we, we sold the house and we bought um, a townhouse. The size is probably a little, little tighter than I would like. I won't share numbers because the idea of the size of a house in the United States is, is very, very different than the idea of a size of a house somewhere else around the country, or even in, maybe even in different parts of the country, like the amount of space I have in my townhouse here would probably be a palace to some folks in New York. Um, and certainly I talked to some colleagues of mine in Singapore and they were like, well, that's quite a sizable house. But coming from a much larger home uh, here in the States, uh, you know, this townhouse is probably just a little on the little on the tight side. It's about 40% the size 
of the old house, we've had to make adjustments in terms of being much more choosy about buying things because we just don't have space to put stuff. Um, and I've been selling off old pieces of equipment and that sort of thing to make more room. Uh, but it is newer, brand new, in fact, and energy efficient. And it's just right for us. We have a guest bedroom in case family has come to, comes to stay. And we've already had one of our kids come and visit for a few days. But we wanted to try and free up time for us to be able to do the sort of things that we enjoy doing, going cycling or going hiking or going for a drive in the Jeep in the mountains or whatever the case may be, rather than maintaining five and a quarter acres and maintaining a large home and that kind of thing. And so far, aside from the challenges of the reduced space, my wife and I are very happy. We are closer to the airport. Again, travel is suspended right now for work, but when travel resumes, and I firmly do believe that it will resume, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I do firmly believe it will resume. It's going to be super nice to be you know, 15 minutes from the airport instead of an hour and 20 minutes from the airport um, each way. So that's a, that's a big plus. And another big plus is that the area where my wife's business as a real estate agent had primarily been growing is now much closer to us than it was in the past. And so she's dramatically reduced her commute time when she goes to show properties or meet clients or anything of that nature. And I thought, you know, well, I, I can work from home. Why not move someplace closer to where she does most of her business and make that life easier for her? So uh, we agree this is something we're going to you know, we're going to try and we're going to keep our eyes open for the next long-term home. But for now, the townhouse um, is uh, is our home and, and we're going to we're going to make the most of it. So in addition to you know moving, uh, we sold the Castle Rock home a little while back and we closed on the townhouse in the middle of April. But as you may know, if you follow me on Twitter or read my blog, you know that I just recently left VMware to join a company named Kong. Um, and no, it is not the company that makes the Chewy Dog Toys, which is also named Kong. Uh, this particular company, Kong Inc., is uh, focused on the business of being a company that provides the connectivity for modern applications. So known for a couple of different products. One is their uh, open source API gateway, as well as their resulting enterprise version of that. It is named after the company Kong, Kong API Gateway. Um, they've also recently introduced a service mesh called Kong Mesh, which is based on a um, CNCF sandbox project called Kuma. There's lots of exciting things happening uh, about the you know within the company. Obviously, I can't talk about any of that, but I, I did after chatting with investors and employees and leadership of the company. I was really excited about the kinds of things that they're trying to accomplish. I know a lot of folks are probably asking much in the same way you were asking, you know, why sell. The home that you absolutely love to move into something smaller, you know, why leave this uh, dream job at VMware to go join uh, a startup like Kong and do that instead? I really have to go back to some of the reasons why I left VMware in 2018 when I joined Heptio. And it was because as I look back on my career, I realized that the periods of greatest growth for me personally and professionally were times when I was deeply embedded and deeply steeped in the technology, when I was a hands-on practitioner um, actually doing things for customers. And I, I don't know, some of you may have heard the story. I related to a few folks after I left VMware and joined Heptio. I left VMware in 2018 to join Heptio because I wanted to get back to that. I wanted to kind of get back to my roots, so to speak, and be working directly with customers and actually helping solve problems for customers 
by you know getting them up and running on Kubernetes and helping them migrate their applications onto Kubernetes and that sort of thing, designing Kubernetes environments, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, you know, as, as history would play out, Heptio gets, gets acquired by VMware in late 2018. That acquisition closes uh, in December of 2018, and I'm back at VMware. And there's nothing wrong with VMware, but VMware is a, a, a much larger company. And I find that I tend to fit a little better in smaller companies. Before I went to VMware the first time in 2013, I had been with EMC, and that's, of course, a very large company. But prior to that, I had been with a small uh, reseller, small-ish reseller. I, I, you know, I think at the time they were 700, maybe 800 employees, a company called E-Plus Technology. So shout out to all my E-Plus folks. And, um, and that was, uh, you know, that was a little on the big side and I'd worked for a variety of smaller companies and channel partners and VARs before that. Um, but I found that working in the small environment, just, it, it seemed to fit me better than the much larger, big corporations. And in some ways, when I joined EMC and I joined the V Specialist team to work with Chad uh, Sakach and and others, I, you know, you were you were shielded to some respects from the bigger um, corporation, and we had a very small startup like mentality in in that team, and we were given a great deal of autonomy. It was that way, sort of when when I first joined VMware in 2013 with Martin Casado and the others who had who had created Nicira, which is then acquired by VMware um, and the NVP product turned into NSX. You know, initially they they were a few hundred people and given a great deal of autonomy by VMware. And again, it felt very much like a startup. And I just really enjoyed that environment. So um, after, you know, working a few years to get uh, to help others establish the Tanzu business at VMware, felt like it was time for me to move on and, and find my next challenge. And so I started evaluating options. Again, many of the same reasons that applied in 2018 still apply now, looking for that smaller company where I can really jump in and make a difference and shape that company to be what it ends up being. And then trying to find a company that had a vision that meshed with my own beliefs around where open source plays and the role of open source with enterprise technologies and enterprise uh, products and companies are headed with regards to their application architectures and the types of platforms they're going to use. And I talked to a, f a few different startups and a couple of them made you know very attractive offers, but in the end I decided that Kong was the right fit for me. So I joined earlier in, in May, um, uh, May 18th was my first day as a principal field engineer. So working in the field engineering team and again, primary responsibility being going out and helping customers be successful with technologies like Kong Mesh and, and others. I'm sorry, I'm super excited about that. But, you know, of course, just like, you know, moving houses, changing jobs is a big deal. And there's all this extra work to be done and new manager to get accustomed to working with and new ways of doing the job and that sort of thing. So it's been a, a pretty tumultuous uh, last few weeks with, you know, packing up the house in, in Castle Rock to move. And um, and then wrapping up things at VMware once we did get moved into the the new house and preparing to leave this uh, you know job and this team that I've been with for the last few years to start something new. So you know starting life in a, in a new place of the Denver metro area, starting life in a new home, starting work at, at a new job, new teammates and, and some old teammates. So I'm super excited to be uh, rejoining some folks I've worked with in the past. Uh, but lots of lots of change, you know, lots of things going on. And so just for fun, I thought, well, hey, you know, why not, um, why not throw in, uh, you know, a new laptop in the mix too, and have to worry about changing platforms at the same time. 
I recently purchased a new M1 based uh, MacBook Pro, the new Apple designed CPU in it, the ARM based CPU, and uh, wanted to share a few impressions of that. So as part of getting ready to change up how my work environment is, I'm in the, I'm in the new home. I have a lot less space than I had before. I need to consolidate some equipment. I need to do things a little bit differently than I've done before. And so I wanted to go ahead and refresh my equipment. My newest piece of equipment that is my personal equipment was a 2017 era Intel-based MacBook Pro uh, with the the really bad keyboard. Fortunately, mine never stopped working or never you know, had some of the just plain non-functional issues that others had to deal with, but it's not a great keyboard uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And so I began looking around. I also had a you know much older iPad and uh, that sort of thing. And so I thought, you know, look, it's time for me just to do an equipment refresh and get something new and modern, uh, something that will last me for the next few years rather than making do with older stuff. The older, older piece of equipment I'm keeping is my Mac Pro workstation, which is an Intel, it's a, a mid-2012 model, so it's definitely showing its age. But it's eight cores and 64 gigs of RAM, and it's, so I can stick it in the back corner and use it as a as a Linux server. But instead, I pulled the trigger on a new iPad and a new MacBook Pro uh, with the uh, the M1 chip. And I must say that my impression of the M1-based Macs so far is, is, is pretty positive. I unboxed it uh, when it arrived. It arrived a week early, uh, so I got it on May, May 13 or May 14. I don't remember exactly which day it was, and unboxed it and booted it up and kind of walked away from that first day, uh, you know, the first a couple of hours of using it or whatever, and, you know, just to go through the initial setup process and, you know, join my network and assign a name and blah, blah. I walked away from that sort of underwhelmed. I was like, wow, you know, I've, I've heard from everyone that this thing is just so snappy and so responsive and it's just such a, so incredibly fast. And it didn't really feel at that time, like it was any faster than my 2017 era MacBook Pro. And so a little disappointed initially, but then as I began to continue to use it, and uh, began to move more of my applications onto it and find uh, ARM native versions of the applications that I use on a regular basis, I began to to notice that things did seem a little snappier. And I think the thing that really caught my attention was installing an ARM native version of Visual Studio Code. And um, I've complained before about code on Mac OS versus code on Linux. Code on Linux is just so much faster than code on Mac OS. I installed an ARM native version of code because the other applications that I had been working with uh, as far as text editors or code editors did not have ARM native versions yet. Installed an ARM native version of uh, Visual Studio Code and I was impressed, like uh, notably impressed. I tweeted about it like, wow, this thing is really snappy. After sort of noticing that and beginning to use it a little more, um, I became a little more impressed with how well it is. It's not that it is blazingly fast in terms of something that may have happened on your slightly older Intel-based MacBook Pro is now, you know, 10 times faster on the ARM or anything of that nature, but that it is almost always, and I say almost always because I've only had one instance thus far where it hasn't been, but it's almost always responsive to you no matter what's going on in the background. You know, sometimes you would, on your Intel-based uh, machines, you know, you'll get spinning beach ball of death or, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Where it's doing something in the background, processing, loading some apps, loading some data, crunching video, whatever the case may be. And so foreground applications in the graphical user interface may not have been as responsive or kind of responding to you and working as well or whatever. But I haven't found that to be the case. There's only one instance where I found that the UI was a little sluggish 
And that only lasted for a little bit. And I had Slack running and I had a video training running and and I had several other applications running. And so, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, you know, okay, the fine, right? By and large, it's been, um, it's been really, really great. As I, I continue to do some research on the M1 and and understanding how the uh, this is a you know eight cores as you as you probably are, are aware if you've been following the introduction of the the M series chips from Apple eight cores uh, eight core GPU and then the CPU cores are four efficiency cores and four performance cores and as I began doing some research into that and sort of observing the behavior of of my own M1 based Mac. I noticed that most of the background services and the general operations of the OS and that sort of thing take up space on the efficiency cores, and that leaves the performance cores open for sort of user-initiated tasks, launching applications or recording audio or video or whatever the case may be. And I think uh, you know, running running Zoom, for example. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons why. And there's a great article I'll put it in the show notes on some of the quality of service of the scheduling that has been being used by Apple to sort of put stuff on these background efficiency cores and keep them out of the way of the performance cores that are then available to respond to user requests and launch applications and that sort of thing. And the end result, uh, quite honestly, is is a, is a, it's a pretty pleasant environment to work with. It, it feels nice. It's, it's smooth. It's fluid. And like I said, I, I really haven't seen any sort of response, any sort of problems with performance or anything of that nature. And that includes running Intel-based GUI applications through their Rosetta 2 technology. Um, I have a couple of GUI apps that have not been updated to be ARM native yet, and installing those, running those, it's seamless. It just it just works, and they they're not like you know dog slow or anything. They are performant, just like their ARM counterparts by and large. So, um, but I think the most impressive sort of thing about the M1-based Mac that I have acquired is not necessarily the performance not necessarily the incredibly improved keyboard. So keyboard uh, aficionados rejoice, the old keyboard is gone, the new keyboard is light years better. Uh, I would still say it doesn't match up to the keyboard on the X1 Carbon that I've been using for the last few years, but it's still much better keyboard than uh, than the Apple uh, laptops have had over the last few years. Even better than that, I would say the real performance, so the real star here is battery performance. Um, which has just been amazing. I unboxed it the first day. I didn't plug it in to charge it for probably three or maybe four days and used it off and on, not hardcore, you know, nonstop. Used it off and on in the days and the evenings during those three or four days. Finally plugged it in to charge it. I used my M1 almost exclusively starting the 19th. On the 19th and the 20th, I had a bunch of onboarding meetings all via Zoom. I ran two, almost two full days, so the 19th and the 20th in Zoom meetings and watching training videos and doing regular work like scheduling meetings and processing email and uh, you know reading documents, all that kind of stuff. Almost two full days of work plus an evening of web browsing on the couch um, before the battery got down into the single digits. So that's quite impressive. Friday's performance wasn't quite as good, but I did spend an entire day of Zoom meetings and training videos in Firefox and exited the day after a full day of work was still greater than 50% battery life remaining. This is quite impressive. I think this is probably the most impressive thing about the new M1-based Max is the performance um, of the battery. Uh, if you are considering buying a new laptop and you have been an Apple user in the past, 
then uh, I would definitely not have uh, uh, you know any great concerns over buying an M1-based Mac, assuming, of course, that there aren't other requirements that prevent you from doing that. Uh, for example, if you do a lot of heavy-duty graphics work, you may prefer an Intel-based Mac because you can use an external GPU, which is not yet supported on the M1-based Mac, for example. But otherwise, it's been it's been great. Um, I'm going to have a blog post up uh, that'll share my per, my you know, impressions after a couple of weeks of using the M1-based Mac. That goes uh, live before this podcast gets published, and then I will be sure to update the show notes with the link for that. In summary, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a pretty crazy set of weeks. Uh, we we sold our house in Castle Rock and moved into a much smaller house to just to get a different quality of life uh, that we were looking for. And uh, I, of course, changed jobs again, seeking, you know, new opportunities and new uh, adventures and new ways to challenge myself and new technologies to learn. And then switching over to this new platform, uh, yet another adventure. So a lot of a lot of change, a lot of things happening here. And it's partly because of all these changes that, you know, I was not able to secure a guest for the show. But after talking with my uh, Packet Pushers colleagues, they said, hey, you know, a personal update is probably fine. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Listeners will probably enjoy hearing from you and hearing about what's going on in your life. I appreciate you guys giving me about, uh, you know, half an hour of your time. Would love, love, love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Scott underscore Lowe. You can hit me up on the podcast uh, Twitter handle directly at FSJ Podcast. Email me, scott at fullstackjourney.com. I uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, you know, just uh, let me know how, how your life is going, uh, what's, what's been happening in your life, and uh, let's strike up a conversation. But uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, we do appreciate you taking time to, uh, to listen and support the show. If you get an opportunity to provide a review or feedback on the show from wherever you got it, off of iTunes or Google Play Store or whatever, uh, provide your podcast. We'd certainly appreciate that. It helps us find new listeners and um, and introduce them to the Full Stack Journey podcast as well. I'll be back next month with a guest. We'll be talking about a new technology. I have a few different options, so I'm still ironing out guests, so I won't tell you what they are just yet. Won't spoil the surprise, but be sure and tune back in next month to the Full Stack Journey podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Have a great morning, afternoon, or evening. Thanks all. Mm-hmm.